A very good morning and welcome to the 2020 National Conference for Clinical Research. My name is Dr. Go Pikpin. I am the Director of Institute for Clinical Research. I'm very glad to introduce you, the lecturer for the CRC NIM lecture, who is no other than the, our Tansri Datosri Dr. Nor Hisham. Tansri DG has been our Director General of Health for the last 20, uh, in, from 2013. He is also a senior consultant surgeon in breast and endocrine surgery. Besides that, at this COVID-19 pandemic, Tansi DG lead the Ministry of Health team together with other agencies and ministry in the successful battling against COVID-19. And DG always said, we work for the nation and the battle is not yet over. We would like also to congratulate our Tansi DG for his recent Distinguished Award, which is an award uh, given by the Yang Di Pertuan Agong, which is the carry the title Panglima Setia Makota, which carry the title Tansri, and also a uh, recent award on the National Toko Maafishra. Besides that, our Tansri BG also have received a most outstanding brand leadership award. Congratu congratulations, uh, Dr. Tansri BG. The time is yours. We would like to welcome you to give the CRC name lecture. Right, thank you very much, Dr. Dr. Go. Uh, first and foremost, I would like to welcome everyone uh, to this uh, uh, webinar, and hopefully, uh, we can share some experience uh, battling against COVID-19. I think we are living in a very challenging time, and this is perhaps a lifetime experience for all of us. And we need to look into both sides in terms of our services, and how can we improve our services further, and how can we prepare. Uh, for next uh, uh, crisis, for example. And uh, never in our wildest dream that, you know, we will face this uh, virus in our lifetime. But uh, today, I think uh, just the global trend of COVID-19 infection uh, with the confirmed cases uh, uh, is 23.1 million and uh, affecting 188 countries. And uh, the death rate has actually increased to almost eight, uh, more than 800,000 death globally and next slide we look into the scenario uh, of uh, uh, the 188 countries the first situation when we look into the first situation it is actually provided by a large out, uh, uh, outbreak but the strong leadership and the country managed to control the infection and uh, this is uh, obviously the best uh, we can see uh, whereby the uh, first situation is the countries were able to prepare well, respond well, and uh, you can see the good outcome. Now, we in Malaysia, perhaps we are in the second situation, and we have a surge of cases uh, from March 31st until the peak uh, in uh, 16 or mid-April. And, uh, and we did certain, uh, we won certain battle, for example, battle of the uh, CM, uh, battle of the MCO, battle of the CMCO, and now we are at the phase of uh, RMCO, but the war has not been won yet. And this is where I think we managed to control, flatten the curve and control the cases. We still see cases every day, uh, double digit, lower double digit, and even single digit. We hope that the next couple of weeks we can control it better. And uh, the third situation, we have seen this now, and we must learn from this from other countries like uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, lately Korea, 
And I've been informed in Korea, for example, the second wave they are seeing, they are, yesterday they have uh, 397 cases. They have 2,600 cases within 10 days now. So they are uh, increasing, the, I mean, they are uh, facing the second wave uh, in Korea. So they managed it very well in the first wave and they managed to control the cases. Uh, now, I think uh, we have seen countries like Hong Kong, Japan, uh, Australia, Spain, Italy, is all facing uh, the third situation. And the last situation is the fourth situation. We are seeing this in India, we are seeing this in Brazil, we are seeing this in US. The cases keep going up. They are not in the recovery phase, but acceleration phase. Uh, so this is the fear that the globally, uh, 23 million people, more than 23 million people have been infected. And uh, death is more than 800,000. So it is very important for us to control our border. That is number one. Second is that the local transmission. So we need to uh, prepare ourselves for the worst and then hope for the best to control this uh, the, uh, in, uh, infection. I think the war is not over yet. Although we have won some battle, but the war is not over yet. Next. Now, you look into uh, the distribution of the COVID-19 detected in Malaysia. Uh, uh, we were in the peak at the uh, mid-April. That's where I think we managed to convince the Prime Minister to uh, implement the uh, MCO. And this is not easy for a Prime Minister to implement because uh, you know, the cost of implementation of MCO is about 2 to 4.4 billion ringgit a day. So, but we have uh, managed to implement the MCO 1, 2, 3, and 4 every two weeks instead of making announcement six weeks or eight weeks. Uh, so, but this is a mind conditioning of the public to accept every two weeks and then they move on to every two weeks. So, MCO 1, MCO 2, the intention was to flatten the curve. And we can see when we reach MCO 3, we managed to, uh, we already uh, uh, almost flat, uh, managed to flatten the curve and in the recovery phase. Then we move on to MCO4 for a very short period of time uh, and because of the cost, uh, then we have to change our strategy to CMCO. CMCO is to allow the economic sector to function back and resume operation but follow the, uh, uh, the SOP. And, uh, but still, uh, restrictions being given to the social sector, the education sector, and etc. So when, uh, during the CMCO, we were in the fasting month and the celebration of uh, and you can see the two peaks. Uh, the two peaks are mainly uh, local uh, cases that is actually from foreign uh, migrants, uh, but in contained uh, environment in the depot tahanan immigration in the immigration uh, uh, center, detention center. So during the CMTO, we managed to bring down the cases further, and there was no spike of cases after Hariraya. Uh, that's credit to our team who is actually looking into the, all the frontliners uh, and also the police, for example, are implementing the roadblocks, interstate travel, and etc. So now we are using the whole government and whole uh, society approach. Uh, in the past, we have used this uh, Act 342 mainly for in the Ministry of Health. But today, we leave the day to see, you know, every sector is a health sector and whereby we work closely with other agencies uh, and uh, we also have authorized other agencies to enforce some of uh, the measures that have been taken. So this is some success story that we have managed to uh, win a few battles, the battle of MCO, the battle of CMCO. Now we are in the, uh, at the phase of uh, RMCO, recovery MCO. And you can see we, are ma we managed to con uh, contain the infection 
lower uh, single digit and lower uh, double digit. So uh, over the last uh, six weeks, you can see, but initially it's much better. You look into the graph, initially our performance much better. Then, uh, you know, success uh, breeds uh, complacency and uh, uh, when there are a lot of people flouting the SOP, then you see cases going up again. And hopefully now we have addressed that, we are bringing down the cases. We started with the R0 of 3.55 before the implementation of MCO, which means one person would infect 3.55 people, and which means 100 people would infect 355 people, and that continues to spread. And we managed to bring down the R0 to 0.33, and uh, that means uh, 0.33, one person would infect uh, 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 0.33 people. That means if you have uh, 100 people infected, then it comes down to 33 people. And 33 people, you go down, uh, the cases are becoming uh, less and well controlled. And now we are at the R0 of 0.78. Uh, this is why we need to uh, you know, enhance further our action plan uh, to bring down the cases uh, to single digit, for example, if possible. Next. Now, our approach initially, uh, this is a whole government and whole society approach. We started in the Ministry of Health, no doubt about that. We are taking the lead now for the government. And, uh, and we anticipated this infection in December 2019. Instead, in denial, but what we did is we prepared in terms of we activated our CPRC, we activated our lab, and then we looked into how can we actually diagnose this uh, virus if we... Uh, you know, it's just a matter of time, the virus will reach our shore. So we prepared our lab well. At the moment, on the 3rd of January, China released the genomic sequence. Our lab using RT-PCRs already ready to do the testing. And then we start training our labs in the public sector and private sector. So that was the first. Second is that we look into our surveillance and public health intervention. So we reactivated the CPRC, national and state. And then we revise and train in terms of active case detection. And then uh, we look into uh, the surveillance of the SARI, ILE, and of pre optative cases. And we adopted this approach, targeted approach. That we mean, in, rather than carpet bombing, we look into the locality, if the locality is uh, in uh, high risk, or we look into the groups, uh, high risk groups. And, and, uh, and we continue to, uh, uh, although we started with MCO, MCO is important for us. It's only a platform, but not the solution. We meaning in the artificial environment. The MCO is artificial environment. Everybody stay at home. Then the public health intervention comes in to do the contact tracing uh, and uh, deploy our staff uh, to uh, to uh, to act on uh, certain localities and certain high risk groups. In the MCO, we also have the EMCO enhanced. Uh, movement control order for the high-risk localities and also cluster group. And then the targeted EMCO for the cluster, certain cluster. And uh, these are so small minor battles that we have actually. Once we come in and lock down the EMCO, we provide the food, there's no movement at all, and we screen everybody in that locality, uh, uh, whether they are uh, local or they are foreigners. And uh, we provide uh, food. EMCO or, or SM, uh, semi-EMCO or TEMCO, TMCO is basically, uh, we still allow movement in terms of uh, uh, providing, uh, the, uh, food, uh, in terms of buying uh, their, their, their food and etc. But more importantly, uh, we control the environment and we test everyone. So, and our strategy is that we always use evidence-based and this evidence continue to evolve over a period of time. That means the six months. 
this is a new virus. We do not have knowledge about this virus. Every now and then, we every day brings new lesson and knowledge for us to adapt and also to react uh, once we know uh, the behavior of the virus. So we continue to have uh, the treatment protocols, the modeling projection, the health technology assessment in certain uh, innovation, looking into the national mortality review, uh, clinical trials are ongoing after and, uh, and more importantly is that when we talk to the public, it's based on facts, not fear. When we talk to the public, it's based on science, not rumors. And it's more important is to the unity in terms of the, the whole government comes together and also the whole society comes together. So uh, risk communication is very important for us to engage with the public and then to explain issues and challenges and also create expectation of the public. And then we deliver beyond their expectation to control the fear. If the public understands the subject matter well, the fear is less. So this is why uh, uh, the, uh, the Prime Minister has identified two spokesperson uh, for uh, the risk communication. One for non-medical is by the uh, Minister of Defence and the medical myself is doing it every day without fail. So we engage in all issues and challenges there. So this engagement and we deliver beyond the expectation of the public. So we win the public trust. And once we win the public trust, this is why the information uh, that we want our, our public to comply to the SOP, etc. The war will never be won if the public is not on board. So this is important and uh, our strategy is uh, protect the vulnerable and make sure that uh, the public is aware and that public empowerment in terms of the implementation. So isolation and our system now, if you have a positive case, for example, although asymptomatic or mild symptom, we will definitely admit to our center, our hospital. And if it's a, a Malaysian returnees coming back from overseas, we make sure that we quarantine them either at home or in a quarantine center. So these are some of the uh, implementation that is actually uh, mainly uh, been done in Malaysia, but not many countries are doing it, which means positive cases in other countries uh, they are being isolated at home. But here, we isolate the hospital, make sure that we contain them because, because their infectivity is very high at the period of time. So we need to contain them. And we identified our preparedness uh, apart from the public health and the lab. So we upgrade our lab in terms of uh, 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 the reach out in, uh, in many uh, hospitals and uh, in the States, as well as uh, we look into our facilities to enhance our facilities. Our facilities already contested before COVID, but we created seven hospitals only for COVID. And then we used the cluster hospital to decant some of the patient or non-COVID patient and a lock, stop and barrel the services to the district hospital. Uh, so I think this is how we managed to open up a space and we created our MyIMS uh, temporary hospital uh, within uh, four days, for example, uh, just to cater for our patient. Now we are using Sungai Buloh uh, uh, Hospital, uh, Pusat Kusta Negara, as a quarantine center, and uh, hopefully that we can have enough uh, 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 space uh, to cater for our patients. Okay. And uh, at the moment, you look into the total individual sample in our country is 1.17 million, and the positive rate is only 0.79%. Case fatality is one of the best, 1.35. Recovery rate is 96.68%. This is the latest. And uh, our active cases today is 1.97. We have 183 active cases of positive patients in our hospital. ICU, nine patients in ICU, four ventilators. So we, meaning that we are able to control the situation at the moment. 
So uh, looking into our positive rate, there's actually a question whether we are testing enough. Now, next slide. So you look into the next slide now. We are testing 35.6 tests per 1,000 population. Uh, and our positive rate is only 0.79%. Korea is testing 33 tests per 1,000 population. The positive rate is 1%. So if the more tests you do, and if the, 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 the positive rate is high, that means you have to do more. For example, in the United States, they are doing more tests than us. Two, uh, 210 tests per 1,000 population. But their positive rate is 7.9%. And you look at Singapore, our neighbors, they are doing 125 tests per 1,000 population. Their positive rate is 7.6. Now, the WHO came up with a statement that if you will detect more positive patients, for example, uh, that means 10%, 15%, very high, that means there are more patients out there not being uh, tested, not being detected. So, looking into our uh, sampling now, uh, the most accurate sampling is uh, pre-operative uh, cases. We have done more than 100,000 pre-op cases, uh, regardless, uh, you know, uh, whether they're rich or poor, they're urban or rural patients. But uh, we sampled them before surgery. Our pickup rate is only 0.05%. And this is, uh, and our surveillance from ID as well as SARI is also very, very low, lower than 0.79%. So which means in Malaysia, I think the infection is well contained. And you look into our hospital beds, you know, utilization is very low now. Our ICU beds, uh, ventilation is only four patients. But we have 1,364 ventilators, uh, you know, uh, ready for COVID patients. So I think this is why we look into the comparison because there's a notion that we are under testing. We say we are not because looking into our data comparable with uh, other countries, uh, this is not from me, this is from the Oxford Martin School. There's a world data that actually they collect the information and share the information. So this is a very important slide, uh, meaning that we are doing uh, well now, but the uh, war is not over yet. Next. So uh, this 16 March is a historic moment for the public health, whereby the movement control order under the Act 342, uh, that is the prevention and uh, control of infectious diseases, uh, drafted in 1988. Uh, this is where the government has uh, uh, implemented Act 342 for the whole country. Uh, and never before seen in uh, the history of Malaysia to use Act 342 for the whole country. And every ministry uh, you know, is actually coming together. So we have meeting every day to coordinate our implementation. So from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, we have an internal in the Ministry of Health meeting in terms of are looking into issues and challenges from the lab into until the hospital and all issues will be discussed and then at uh, nine o'clock i have to be i will always be the first presenter uh, first presenter in a uh, intergovernment uh, uh, meeting and whereby we coordinate our efforts together and so uh, then uh, three times a week we have to brief the prime minister until one o'clock and then after one we have to rush back to crunch the data for the day every day we have a press conference then to actually to inform the public the latest and current situation. Okay. And the joint external evaluation before uh, the COVID, I think there are already a few uh, external evaluation on our public health response. And uh, our public health response is one of the best uh, in Asia. I, if I'm not mistaken, it's the third in Asia as well as uh, been named as uh, uh, preparedness under 18 in, in the world. 
so uh, our experience in the past, for example, handling SARS, handling uh, Muscovy and H1N1 have given us uh, the, the, the experience and the organization and the setup uh, in CPRC. Uh, but that is actually a smaller scale. Now we are looking into a largest upscale of the, the preparedness, not only involving Ministry of Health, but also involving other ministries and under the, under the National Security Council. Next. So Malaysia preparedness and planning began in 2019. I can see our preparedness, uh, the guidelines, uh, and we continue to evolve our guidelines until the fifth edition because with the current knowledge are keep evolving. So, and with preparedness in terms of equipment, preparedness in terms of uh, facilities and all. So this is a whole government coming together and uh, Ministry of Health, uh, you know, uh, also has strengthened in terms of our, our border. Uh, make sure that uh, you know uh, we can control it much better. Next, and um, MOH uh, crisis preparedness and uh, response center has been recognized uh, locally. Uh, you know, and even the king and queen came and visited uh, the national CPRC. The prime minister visited the national CPRC, and also we activated hospital services CPRC, state CPRC, and hospital operational. So the coordination is important because data have to flow. But the shortfall is that in terms of preparation, our digital preparation is lacking behind. Because uh, you know, uh, only when the crisis, then only we started you know, exploring uh, in new apps, uh, new system and etc. We should have prepared the digital uh, 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 information and uh, coordination system before even the crisis. I hope that in future, we have all these apps and all the coordination system by system already in place, not during that time. It must be a proactive rather than a reactive. Next. So our COVID-19 hospital and lab preparedness uh, as of 24 August, you can see we have 120 screening hospitals, seven quarantine and treatment centers uh, with 2,100 uh, 2, beds and our capacity in our lab uh, from 1,000 a lab per day, uh, test per day, we are able to do 38,236 uh, tests per day now. So our capacity has increased and our, our current uh, bed capacity uh, for total COVID is 3,728. So it's very important for us to contain the infection. If we get, for example, 1,000 cases a day for the next four days or five days, our hospital will be contested. And this is why we need to mitigate and control as best as we could. And as I said, it is like a burning ember. I told the PM it's a burning ember. And this is the best time, a small window of opportunity for us to contain the infection. If it's becoming, it's already uh, turning out to be a wildfire, it's very difficult for us to control. Uh, how can you, for example, contact tracing 1,000 or 2,000 cases uh, a day, for example? So this is uh, the challenges that we have. So, you know, we took the opportunity and we managed to flatten the curve and control the situation. And we need to maintain that situation. This is the greatest challenge that we have because the war is not over yet. And we see other countries, you know, in terms of uh, they are getting a uh, second wave and third wave uh, that is actually worse than the first wave. Next. And uh, you look into the cases, the level of preparedness of all COVID hospitals, we managed to bring down the cases and the number and utilization of COVID beds also came down and we hope that we can maintain uh, and contain and maintain the current situation. Thanks.
And uh, this is uh, my eighth quarantine and low risk treatment center. So we admit those patients asymptomatic mild symptoms in this uh, hospital that we treated within four days. And we can accommodate approximately 604 patients and we can expand uh, the base into 1,000. So uh, we have the knowledge, we have the know-how. If needed be, we can always start back again the quarantine center. But our cases has been uh, single digit and double digit for the last uh, two months. So we hope that we can contain this infection and uh, continue to do what we do best. Next. And the humanitarian aid mission, I think, uh, coming together, this is not only uh, uh, Ministry of Health, but all agencies come together and to bring back the Malaysian, for example, from overseas and make sure that we quarantine them. And, uh, you know, this is some of the services that we have provided, uh, the government has provided for the people. Next. And uh, as I said, we have this MySejata. This app was created during the crisis. And uh, we have eight modules. Uh, more importantly, the modules help us uh, in terms of uh, uh, protect the confidentiality of our patient. So, you know, you use this uh, barcode, for example, scanning. And uh, if needed be, we can actually break the code and then to identify who came to the, host, uh, the restaurant and etc. So today, uh, 16.7 million users uh, for MySejata and we hope that this software will have uh, other features as well to enhance it from time to time in terms of the uh, assessment of the risk, uh, casual contact, close contact, person under surveillance, person under investigation and confirmed cases. So this app is very useful and we hope that all nations will download this app next. And the MySejata dashboard will give us the indication in terms of the registration, and confidentiality, so the information is confidential. It's not, uh, you know, owned by the company, but it's owned by the Ministry of Health. This is a, a, a apps owned by the Ministry of Health. So confidentiality being assured. Next, and enhancing the data collection and reporting. This is why we need ICT in terms to facilitate the migration of previous lab data in the integration work active participation of uh, you know, uh, the PKD and the state's PKN, whereby there is actually using now teleconferencing uh, facilities and all. So this is uh, why we need to enhance our digital uh, development for data collection. So data flow freely from uh, district into to the uh, center, uh, but more importantly, from the private to the public as well. So we are looking into the whole nation integration of the data. Thanks. And the protecting of our health workers, uh, that is our first priority because the highest risk group now, we look into it is healthcare workers as well as the family members. So we uh, need to protect our healthcare workers in terms of pre-exposure, for example, post-exposure, communication, the do's and don'ts. And uh, so far, I think I'm happy to say that uh, we have actually done the tests uh, for uh, healthcare workers in Sungai Buloh Hospital. And uh, none of our healthcare workers, more than 480 healthcare workers been screened for antibody. None of them have antibody towards uh, COVID-19, which means they have not been exposed. So in other words, the most safest place in Malaysia is actually in the COVID ward and COVID uh, and, and ICU uh, uh, ward. So because the infection rate is very low. Why? Because protection been given to our healthcare workers. So this is important. 80% of our infection uh, uh, in our healthcare workers uh, contracted the infection from the community and uh, again 20% from the patient and etc. So I think we must be uh, always be vigilant in terms of uh, uh, protecting ourselves. Next. 
Uh, mental health, and this is also very important, mental health and psychosocial support services, not only for our, our patients, but our, our public, but also for our healthcare workers. So we have uh, services provided online, and then uh, we can actually uh, uh, look into these services uh, to calm them. And for the public, for example, to stay indoor, for example, for three months is uh, very challenging for them. Uh, but we provide these services to calm them down and then to uh, decimate, uh, disseminate information, etc. Uh, social compliance and social responsibility. This is the most important because there are six uh, criteria we are looking at. Social compliance in terms of the SOP. If the public is not on board with us, not complying with the SOP, then that is the beginning of the end. So to win this war, we need the public to comply with SOP in terms of the social distancing and wearing a mask. Now we have evidence to show social, uh, physical distancing. Initially, it was social distancing because everybody stay at home. But now it's a physical distancing. And physical distancing and wearing a mask, we can actually uh, 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 cut the infection or uh, uh, stop the infection at least 65 to 70%. So this is something that uh, we can actually embrace and practice to mitigate the risk and continue to have hand washing, for example, and, uh, and advise the, the public to stay away from uh, crowded places and confined spaces. With confined spaces with poor ventilation, that is another big risk of infection. So these are some of the advice that we continue to uh, daily uh, telling, informing the public uh, to comply. And if they comply, I think we can actually cut the infection. Next. So this is a balance now in terms of uh, looking into the virus as well as the, uh, the uh, livelihood. Life and livelihood, the virus and economy. How do we balance this? Uh, and we can actually, the best approach will be MCO, which means everybody stay at home. But then that's not livelihood in terms of economic sector will, will be, uh, uh, you know, will be uh, disrupted. So what is more important is to allow the public back to the normal activities and economy, social, education, and etc. But control the infection. But they must comply to the SOP. So, and the WHO has mentioned this, and the year of WHO mentioned, financing the health response is therefore an essential investment. So we hope that in future, uh, the government will continue to invest in health. Health is actually wealth now, and every sector is a health sector. Today we have seen, in reality, every sector is a health sector. The three main areas of focus is to ensure that core public health measures are fully funded, to strengthen the foundation of the health system, and to remove the financial barrier to care. So I think these are some of the strategies that we need to embrace and to, to learn from this lesson. Next. And looking at the World Bank, 150 countries are affected uh, with, and disrupted with this uh, COVID-19. And this, this is why I think Malaysia economy projected to contract 3.1% uh, uh, and the impact of economic disruption during the MCO. So we need to balance this in terms of now we hope that we can, the economy is expected to rebound in 2021 with a growth of 6.9%. So we work closely with the Ministry of Finance to look into the, the balance between life and livelihood. Next. And uh, on the 4th of May 2020, uh, we started easing the restriction by allowing most businesses to reopen under the conditional movement control order. So we have won the battle of MCO and we started the CMCO on the 4th of May. 
and we won the battle of CMCO because we managed to control the infection. Then we move on to recovery movement control order RMCO, which took effect on the 10th of June, lifting most restrictions on domestic activities and movement. So we allow uh, livelihood to resume back, provided the caveat is that they need to comply to the SOP. So we have created the SOP for many sectors and hopefully they comply and we control the infection. So to allow livelihood, life and livelihood. Uh, next is that the border remain con uh, closed and uh, the overseas travel restriction must also comply to, to some of the measures being taken. So we hope that uh, we are able to contain the infection and make sure uh, we also uh, strengthening, uh, tightening our border control, not only the official uh, border entrance, but also the illegal entrance now. So the police uh, is actually monitoring the situation locally and the army is actually uh, helping us uh, to uh, uh, tighten our illegal entrance and the immigration comes along in terms of the legal uh, entrance to our country. Next. So in conclusion, working together to combat the spread of COVID-19, the whole government and the whole society approach is very important, the leadership. So I always emphasize this, the current leadership listens to the Ministry of Health and also trusts the civil servant. Can you imagine other countries where the leadership is not listening to the technocrats, for example? So we see the outcome from this and continue to strengthen our preparedness and response capacity. So we always look, uh, look into how we can improve further and uh, collectively make a decision. Enhance late containment phase, maximize suppression of disease transmission, early detection to detect uh, the clusters and also uh, to react fast in terms of uh, trace and track uh, the locality as well as the targeted group. And behavior modification. So we want the public to come on board to, have, uh, uh, the, uh, to, to embrace the new norm. And uh, also we need to revitalize the economy using, for example, teleconferencing, you know, uh, food deliveries, and etc. And continue to strengthen the health system capabilities and the digital readiness. And last but not least, is to continue to strengthen the multi-sectoral, regional, and international collaboration and coordination in terms of the vaccine research, in terms of our neighbors, how can we have a, a, a mutual reciprocal SOP for them to, uh, for our neighbors to come into our countries. Uh, so this is something that we need to fight this war together together in unity and solidarity with flatten the curve. So it is important for us now as healthcare workers to continue our effort. The war is not over yet. Our fear is the second or even third wave coming into our country. We have seen this in other countries, but we have yet to see this in our country, but uh, it's not impossible. So we need to prepare for the worst and we hope for the best. I think that's about all from my presentation and thank you very much. And 3BG for the comprehensive and account and very updated information to all of us. There are about 750 participants in this conference. I'm sure uh, there are many of them are healthcare uh, workers and uh, we will abide by your advice and we wish everyone all the best in this battery against COVID-19. Thank you very much.